1: taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whichever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at BZETechShow. G'day, my name is Anthony Daniel and uh, today we're speaking to Jan Burden from Billcap. Billcap is a white-label energy retail platform, providing smart meter-enabled customer engagement and retention services for energy retailers. And Jan is their CEO, and he joins us in the studio today. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having us. People may not know that you actually sat in the studio in a previous interview we did. You sat in the corner nice and quiet when we spoke to uh, Luke Osborne from from Reposit. And we may speak a bit later in in the interview about... The, you know that interaction between what he's doing and what you're doing will be really exciting to Indeed. know. But the way we generally like to start interviews is to ask our guests about themselves. And you've obviously got an accent that's not not Aussie, although you've spent a lot of time here. Tell us what got you to this point.
0: Yeah, look, I'll explain the accent first. Born in Canada and Montreal, but uh, moved to Melbourne when I was 18 and ended up at uh, Melbourne University. Did a degree in basically combining... Uh, computer science and commerce. Um, and then after that, went straight into pretty boring IT consulting, but learned a few things in that space, namely how systems integrate and how valuable customer data is uh, in terms of trying to understand uh, effectively how, bi- not only how businesses run, but how to really understand the consumer.
1: And so what brought you into the energy space in particular?
0: Yeah. So moving from the business consulting, I ended up in Europe and working for a French energy retailer called EDF at the time of market deregulation in France. They had this wonderful problem of having 100% of the market share and realizing that they would have to share some of it. And they brought us in to look at what was the impact of deregulation, how you market to consumers in a world where consumers had never been marketed to. So that sort of brought together, uh, I guess, my understanding of systems, but also an understanding of energy and that it's, it's a very different kind of service very unlike anything I'd seen before.
1: Give us an idea of that. What kind of industries did you work in previously? More more traditional consumer-facing industries where, uh, you know, there's a competitive market where people have to fight over every dollar?
0: Exactly, yeah. I did a lot of classic um, kind of integration work in banking and in the telco space. So two, very two, competitive
1: industries, yeah. I- indeed, indeed.
0: But once again, spaces where you have to understand the customer if you want to succeed.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get into Bill Cap's offering in particular, let's discuss a bit about the energy market. And uh, long-time listeners would know a lot about it, but it probably bears uh, repeating. If I get my bill and it's one single number with my consumption, maybe a a supply charge, and then, yeah, a charge per per consumption – how would that break up? Who who are the players in the industry, and and how much of, of the bill are they generally being paid?
0: It, it's it's fascinating to see actually how few people understand how their bill is broken down. I'm sure that's not a problem for your listeners, but I, I think you know as as you touch on, you have a, effectively a daily service charge, and that basically covers the uh, the cost of the poles and wires um, and the meter for what it's worth, which is quite important in the bill cap story. Um, and that's that's a fixed daily service charge. Um, you also have and I, on that infrastructure is, car- is carried the electrons that are effectively generated by the different generators, um, and you, as the end consumer, get billed uh, effectively for the variable component, which is the, how much energy you use, uh, effectively paying for those electrons that were generated either through uh, you know burning coal or through a windmill spinning somewhere. And on top of that, you'll pay that fixed charge, which goes to cover the infrastructure that is maintained by the distributors. Now, what's interesting with that mix is that it's a very very obscure to customers why it is that way. Uh, so customers have been getting this bill in the mail typically every 90 days and all they really know is that they have to pay it. and uh, And I think that's, you know, Part of the story of why BillCap exists is because what we realized is that there's this massive disconnect between a service that is an essential service, that's a utility, and the fact that customers really didn't know what they were paying for. And I think what we saw is, and what we've seen over the past, past few years, is massive dissatisfaction across the industry by customers.
1: Yeah. So uh, speaking about that retail environment, I mean, mm. you, you spoke about the, the components that the generators. the the transmission companies that would send that energy from from those generators to to the population centres, the distribution companies, the utilities that that distribute that energy, and then the retailers that provide that billing. The the three main retailers also happen to be the three main generators in Australia. Why is it that they see a benefit on being on both sides of that market?
0: Yeah, it's effectively what... um energy retailers are trying to do is they effectively buy I guess the service that energy retailers deliver at its core is that there is a national energy market and effectively the price of energy fluctuates throughout the day and they have to buy their I guess the electrons for their customers off that market now most customers don't want to be exposed to that floating spot price so the energy retailer does you the service of actually fixing the price for you and they do their best to try to effectively uh, buy low and sell high now the problem the problem with that is that if all your customers simultaneously turn on their air conditioners on a very hot day, you're going to be exposed to a very high price on the market. So as part of a, effectively a hedging strategy, you could call it more broadly speaking, it's very useful if one of those either gas-fired power plants or more preferably perhaps a, a, a wind turbine is also generating the electrons for you.
1: Yeah, so if they're the ones that are going to have to pay it on the retail side, they're mm. actually the ones that are also benefiting on the generation side. So there's that, that natural hedge that you spoke about. Exactly. So as a consumer, while we seem to have a choice of retailers, we are all buying from that same wholesale market, as mm. you said. So how do these retailers, particularly maybe not the big three, how do other retailers differentiate themselves to sort of you know get their head out from the crowd?
0: Yeah, look, this has been the, the key problem with the energy industry is that it is effectively every energy retailer is selling the same electron to you. On top of that, and there's a few-
1: There's no, there's no luxury electrons? There's no. A, a no
0: unfortunately, there isn't. Actually, the, the only point of differentiation that, that you could argue is that so you could buy a greener power than others. Right. Um, but th- that said, you can buy the same green power, uh, to uh, TM, uh, through any of the energy retailers typically. So um, ultimately, they are selling a commodity, all the same commodity, undifferentiated. Really, the main point of differentiation of retailers historically has been the logo in the top right-hand corner of your bill. Now, how are they differentiating now? So one place they differentiate is on price, obviously. Energy retailers do their best to try to capture your attention, typically by offering various different types of discounts. And what's been interesting is that historically, it's been that the, what we call the, I guess the tier two retailers, i.e., not the big three that that you mentioned, AGL Origin and Energy Australia, not those ones would typically be more aggressive in their pricing than maybe some of the big three. Um, I think what's happened, and what we've seen over the past few years, is that that strategy is starting to wear thin uh, for the consumer. I think consumers realize that you might get a discount this year, but next year the energy retailer can change their price, or
1: they'll get bought out by one of the big three.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed, and uh, and I think that you know. Energy is fundamentally, for most customers, a grudge purchase. It's something you're not really, no one goes, gee, I really want to buy electrons today. People, what they're really saying is I want to heat my home. I want lighting. I'd like my food cooked. And they have this relationship with the energy retailer traditionally, which has been one of just give me the service and I don't really understand it. And at the end of the day, I don't really know what you do for me. So what they're doing now is they're finally looking at this marketplace saying, well, what what can we, as people who now have a relationship with customers around around energy, actually uh, deliver that is tangible and real? And uh, and I think the the first step is I think educating customers about their energy usage and being transparent about that.
1: That's a great segue into speaking about Bill Cap, the company. I. Didn't... Mm. I, I was surprised to know you've been around since 2010 um, mm. in various forms. Like, what what got you? What got your partners together? What got the, what got the idea going? When you was it was it a pub conversation? What what got it going?
0: Um, brunch, but brunch uh, <laughs> I'm sure there was That's vodka. very very <laughs> Melbourne. That was
1: very good. <laughs> but,
0: but I think there was vodka and the bloody Marys. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> look, so we, we'd come back from uh, come back from Europe, having worked in the energy space, especially in the energy efficiency space after after our uh, experiences in uh, in France and the UK. And uh, had co-founded a small energy efficiency consultancy, and going around, we would the the obvious question when you're trying to do energy efficiency work is well, we can walk around and try to do an audit by counting things, or we could just look at the data. And isn't it great that we live in the state of Victoria where there are all of these smart meters being rolled out? Let's get the data off those. Right. And it's in it was in the process in the I guess as you say 2010 2011 trying to understand how we get our hand on that data and not being able to that we thought that. There seemed to be a gap in the market here that this data, this energy data, is, is so valuable to help energy consumers understand how they're using it and make the right decisions in terms of managing their energy consumption. There didn't seem to be any services or formal processes to allow that to happen. So the idea around brunch was a bit quixotic. We thought, okay, we'll be that service that helps energy consumers understand, get their energy data and turn it into useful information to make good decisions that what what was interesting and i think what emerged was that um we there was no mechanism to effectively work directly with the consumer um and that's a mix of regulation that we might want to go in later and and the fact that the the infrastructure for that data didn't really exist so what we ended up doing and what we ended up discovering was that there actually were quite a few energy retailers out there who thought that maybe that this massive problem they had with customers not trusting them, customers constantly leaving at the site of the next discount, perhaps if they actually started building trust with those customers, uh, they might be able to retain them. And one of the the key problems in the energy space is this concept of bill shock. Um, and we we genuinely thought that by providing energy consumers a better user experience than a bill every 90 days, i.e., proactively communicate energy information to these energy retailers' customers, say on a weekly basis via an email or via SMS, or give them a place to then explore their data, would hopefully go to solve this problem of churn and customer loyalty. And uh, that's how Bill Capp started as a business. We we signed up our first energy retailer and started proactively communicating energy information to their customers.
1: Yeah, so um, that, when you say that white-label service, that is, mm. you're, you're building that software capability or that billing capability that someone can come in and go just whack their own logo on it, maybe twist things here and there and to, to suit their needs. Um, but then effectively on sell that as as their own service in the same way that someone might I don't know get a get coffee machine from somewhere and then sell their own coffee but you know you are providing that that capability for for them to provide that service and one of the big things you do you spoke about the smart meter rollout in Victoria is that you you unlock that smart meter data and that was one of the main uh, motivations for you to to start this business so Well, what data is collected and exists in a smart meter that wouldn't exist in a a regular meter?
0: Yeah, so traditionally, the way that the energy industry would charge you for your energy is that they'd send a person around to your home every three months or so and manually read an analog meter and an accumulation reading they would just see what they read last time they see what they read this time and uh, subtract the two and charge you for it uh not the most efficient system obviously people walking around secondly a very inaccurate system uh, meter readers can always get to your home so people are getting a lot of estimated bills and mm. again went to a lot of the mistrust building in the community in terms of is this is this bill right um, so what's the, one of the key problems and the, one of the most basic problems that smart meters solved was saying, well, what we're going to do is instead of um, we're, going to replace, we're going to replace these old meters, which have spinning disks, with effectively a little uh, c- computer that will actually measure your energy, um, in, in the case here in Victoria, every 30 minutes. And we will send that back on a daily basis back to uh, the energy retailer. So all of a sudden, instead of having a 90-day feedback loop in terms of your consumption, you you now have uh, energy which is tracked at a 30-minute interval and which you're effectively getting back every day centrally. It can actually be quicker, but it's tr- traditionally every day. Now, the... I think the, the key thing there with the smart meters is that they solved that basic problem of the meter reading. Um, and I think maybe you know, we might want to go into this is that unfortunately it seemed that the industry sort of stopped there. They thought that the yes. big problem that we've solved here is just the meter reading problem and, um, and that's it. And, right. I think, and what they didn't realize was that actually those 48 data points a day – um, all of a sudden, give us an insight into how consumers use energy that we never had that we that we only were really guessing at
1: and, and, and consumers themselves would be really interested in
0: of course of course and it, it 's one of these things where you um, energy consumers are always asking themselves the question of you know uh, how much does it cost to to heat my home electrically or to cool it how much How much is that extra fridge in the in the garage costing me? but if you're only getting a reading every ninety days, you'll never be able to answer that question um, and what was what the smart meter allows you to do is it it gives you it starts giving you the granularity to start ask answering some of those questions usefully
1: yeah and beginning to introduce that in a way that you, you you have always have with your say with your telephone bill or something like that bringing mm. that to the energy market, which is really exciting. We're on the Beyond Zero show, and we're speaking to Jan Burden from Bill Cap and we're speaking about, about smart meters. And, and this is an interesting one because you talked about the rollout in Victoria, uh, and now every premises has them, but does that – who else would have them? Would someone who has PV installed in Australia? Did they have to automatically get one installed? Is that how it generally works?
0: Yeah, t- typically. So, in in Victoria, there was a mandated rollout, so that means that uh, effectively every household and business had to have one installed. In the rest of the country, there was no mandated rollout; it was obviously done at a state level. But most, as you say, most households with solar, by definition, will have a smart meter installed. the the diff The only question being, and smart meters come in different um, varieties not all of them would be read remotely on a daily basis. So what they would often do is that while they would take the those readings every 30 minutes or sometimes even every 15 minutes, um, they wouldn't be, I guess, uh, phoning home on a daily basis right. and passing that data on. So that's that's the difference. The The real advantage we have here in Victoria right now is that you have 2.2 million metres effectively every day that are pumping this information, this granular information, back
1: to the energy retailers and to the distributors. Right, right. So... You've spoken about the insight it would give people to see how energy is being used. Billcap, through your software, would provide that information to the retailers and then in turn to the consumers. Mm. So what insights have you found consumers are getting and and how does that change their their behaviour?
0: Yeah. So the the first problem we try to solve, and and we touched on it before, is this concept of bill shock. So there's a lot of reasons why customers change energy retailers, and a lot of them are very valid in terms of you know genuinely getting a better deal or finding an energy retailer that whose maybe ethics they support more, and that's fine. But one of the main reasons is just purely that they are getting. At the end of 90 days, they're getting a bill that they feel they have no control over. I mean, um, most of the people listening to the show might not have this problem because they would probably be very well-informed, but the average consumer, uh, if there is such a thing, doesn't know what a kilowatt hour is. So what we do at at the most basic with what we do is we try to solve this bill shock problem. So one of the ways we do that is that we crunch the smart meter data on a daily basis, and we will proactively send out an email to you every week telling you how much you spent, and maybe and start to give you insights turn that data into insights about maybe why you spent that much on your energy right Now, energy is – by getting that weekly feedback point, customers all of a sudden start getting a feel for how much they are spending. In that same email, we'll probably forecast your bill as well. We might compare you to others um, and we might give insights about the correlation between, say, weather conditions and your energy consumption. So it it basically – what you're starting to do with the customers, you're educating them week by week on their energy usage. And what that does is it, it effectively allows customers to go, OK, well, this is what's impacting. It allows customers to sort of self-discover their energy usage. Um, when they see, uh, if, if, they, if they get an email saying it's $10 this week, $10 next, and the next week goes up to 30 then what they would typically do is click through on the email, and they would get access to a web portal where they could then explore their data into even more detail. And as they drill down and they go through, I guess, the different views of the data, we can provide them insights on that specific day, on those specific hours that they're looking at what might have been happening to their energy usage.
1: And that's really interesting. And uh, we spoke uh, before the show about how, you know, what's going on in this market and what those consumers can allow via this data is really unique across the world, isn't it? There's only a couple of places in the world that are are able to do this.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, what's what's fascinated us you know coming back from europe and moving to back to victoria you can sometimes feel small pond but what we quickly realized was that actually in terms of an energy market where you have this technology of smart meters and you have competition, um, really it's basically, you know, broadly speaking, us in Texas. Um, don't get me wrong, there's bigger smart meter impl- um, rollouts out there, California being a notable one of them. But where you have these two effects of really rich information sets and of hyper-competitive uh, environment means that we're starting to see innovation
1: here in Victoria, which we're not seeing anywhere else. Right. But, fantastic. And 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 it's and where that's particularly I think uh, relevant is where the technology is going next and the distributed grid and be really interested to see how the smart meters with new you know newfangled retailers that it's enabling and these new technology can all can all come together and that's where I want to take the conversation next. Um, we spoke about the the fact that there are smaller retailers who are trying to differentiate themselves. Mm-hmm. They are exposed in a way that the larger ones are not because of that natural hedge we spoke about. So. You know what is what opportunities exist with this with these new technologies that that are making coming available where uh, a retailer that could feel like small fry and have have a lot of disadvantage mm. against a big business may start taking advantage of the distributed grid um, to to really uh, offer something new
0: yeah i I think what's really interesting for small energy retailers is that they have an agility um, to uh, if, effectively reach out to their customers and say, okay, well, we're not just going to be selling you an electron anymore. We are going to effectively try to help you um, get the energy energy service you want. Um, And once you've built trust, once that customer understands their usage, that energy retailer is then in a position to credibly say, hey, we've looked at your energy usage, for example. And we're not just going to tell you that we've got a really good deal on solar. We're going to say this solar system – for example, this solar PV system will specifically benefit you this much. And we've looked at your data again, and if you were to add a battery to that, um, and some storage effectively, this is how much you know this is how much you would save, and this is how effectively green your energy would be if you were to do that so all of a sudden, by having this access to this very rich insight into their customers, they 're able to credibly go to their customers and say we we 're not just going to try to flog you commodity electron we 're going to be your partners in actually helping you get the kind of energy service you want and I think it, it is surprising to see how energy retailers on the whole missed the solar boat. And I think one of the main reasons they missed the solar boat is that they didn't have the trust of the customers in the first place, and they didn't really have the insights into the customer to be able to service them well anyway. Um, They weren't fast enough. They didn't understand their customers well enough. I think the small energy retailers that are emerging are saying, well, we can use this information and we can use the fact that we don't necessarily want to sell people more um, electrons created by burning burning coal or burning gas, mm-hmm. um, what we re- really want, we see value not in selling uh, s- selling that dirty commodity, but actually providing an ongoing valuable service, of which information is a core supporting part.
1: Yeah. So one of the key things retailers do is that they smooth out the, the wholesale price. So the wholesale price fluctuates, goes up and down. Uh, We'll come back to it again, of course. Mm. The the natural hedge is if that goes up, the the big guys are fine because they're they're collecting it on the generation side. But if I'm a small retailer that doesn't own any generation, then I'm going to take that hit and then it's going to affect the the, the deal that I can provide my customer. But if I can start using some of these new technologies to then affect the demand from my customer at a time when that wholesale price spikes, I get that advantage. And And it's perhaps something that the big guys wouldn't necessarily want to get involved in too much because they overall yeah. um, benefit from the price spikes on the wholesale market.
0: That's right. If, if you look at a lot of the major, major energy retailers and you look at their profitability, a lot of their profitability will come by having a gas-fired power plant ready to fire up the minute we all get home and turn on our air conditioners. Mm. So let's just say they have a, a mixed in, or they have a diluted incentive necessarily to help you as a consumer – to, to manage your energy usage in that way. I think what you're describing is really exciting is is this concept of saying, well, your energy retailer, if they don't have generation typically, will have an incentive in saying, well, if I can help you and if I understand you, can I help you to effectively smooth out those peaks? because as you say, it's in those peaks where it's most expensive for them to serve you, then it's genuinely becomes a win-win, whereby Mm. you stop uh, as the consumer, you're spending maybe less at peak times, which is good for you. But for the energy retailer, instead of buying very expensive electrons that cost 10 to 100 times as much as they maybe do overnight, for example, they they don't get exposed to that. But to do that, and I think this is the, the secret recipe, is that you need to understand that customer's need. And I had a bit of a slip of the tongue before, and I talked about the average consumer. And I think what we've discovered by looking at over you know 350,000 smart meter data sets is that there really is no such thing as an average customer, and that you need a very sophisticated view of saying, okay, well, this customer will respond to this kind of incentive, whether it be a price incentive, whether it be just a nice text message on their phone telling them, hey... Um, you can shape it, or by having an automated system in their home that just controls maybe the interface between uh, their their solar PV and their storage. But the solution will depend on the type of customer you have.
1: And and this data becomes really important in, in an era with storage, because of course, storage is what's really going to enable the user's demand to fluctuate asymmetrically with their demand in order to get that benefit from the market and benefit overall. But then coming into that mix are... The solar, sorry, the storage vendors and mm. and, and, P, and groups like Reposit, who have got um, not just the software but also some mechanisms to provide value to customers. So all of a sudden, the retailers have a competitor for the customers' customers' attention. Yeah. Um, and so, that this idea where you say they missed the boat a bit on solar, what what can they do to not miss the boat on storage?
0: Yeah, I think I think what they need to do is they need to understand their customer base. It's quite clear that um, storage is going to be very big, um, but it's going to follow an, an innovation path, and different segments of their customer base will have different reasons to want to adopt. Storage. So the people adopting it right now, and you know, I think you know, you you had Luke on uh, the other week. Um, There's some early adopters out there, and they have a very different need set uh, to perhaps the um, the people who are going to be, shall we say, the middle of the adoption curve. Um, I think the the smart energy retailer will be the one who understands um, their. Their customer And is able to target an offer, a credible offer to each one of those segments in a different way. Um, it's not going to be a one size fits all solution. Um, and it's going, to, it's going to require trust because I think the, the other thing that energy retailers um, are, are, are grappling with right now is that they're used to sending you a bill in the mail for this very, very ephemeral service which is these electrons that power all these useful things, um, all of a sudden the energy retailer is going to try to um, convince you that they're credible enough to sell you an appliance-sized device, say say storage, and mm-hmm. maybe put something on your roof. Um, and I think that to be able to do that, you have to build trust. Um, and on the positive side for energy retailers is that if it makes a lot of sense that if you have a trusting relationship with them and they know you, then you're probably going to trust their advice in terms of what solution is right for you. Um, but to do that, there needs to be transparency. And, and that's something that historically is lacked in the marketplace where um, uh, energy retailers have, have often been uh, ha- had to resort to pretty short-term commercial tactics. And I think the ones that are succeeding in the long terms are those who who treat their customers with intelligence and respect. Um, And, you know, we we play uh, a small role in that in terms of helping them communicate that information to their customers and turning that, that the data that they have on their customers into a useful insight for their customers. I think that solutions that we're seeing coming out of the likes of Reposit, I think, take it to the next level, which is saying ultimately. You have control over the energy you create, and you are now an active participant in the grid. What Reposit does that's so brilliant is that obviously most energy consumers aren't energy traders, and so they've built some great software that effectively automates that for people. But I think what they're tapping into is something fundamental, which is this concept that ultimately energy consumers want to feel in control. And uh, I I think solutions such as uh, Reposit play a part in that. We're also seeing other innovation um, as well with the likes of PowerShop, who've differentiated not so much through hardware, i.e. solar or storage, but differentiated just in the way they sell their energy, uh, allowing customers to pre-purchase power packs. And I think it's energy retailers who actually try to do something different that, that's based on trust that will
1: succeed. Fantastic. Well, we're out of time. So thanks for joining us today, Jan. It's a pleasure. If people want to find out more about what Billcap's doing, and maybe they just want to start a retailer and then and, and use, your, use your gear, where should they go? Um,
0: they can just reach us at Billcap.com or find me on LinkedIn.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for your time. Cheers. You've been listening to The Beyond Zero Show, brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions. To find out more about what we do or get involved, visit us at bze.org.au. My name's Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time.